Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask out of all my prayers. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast we talk about the films of 1989, parachuting into a wedding here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today is the great Tom Meissen, back again. Uh, look at, looking great, Tom. Good to see you. It's a pleasure to be back. It's it's great to have a proper Brit to talk about a, a proper British film <laughs> yeah. that takes takes place in Miami and Key West and Cuba. Um, yeah. Blue blood, uh, like, through and through. We're, we're doing License to Kill. Uh, we are. Uh, and the last time we did a Bond movie, what was the one we did, Phil? The world Tomorrow is not never enough. dies. The world is the not world enough. Is not enough. Yeah. Uh, I had Oof. I had a much different. Um, I had a much different appreciation of Bond at the time, so uh, I'm a little more of a, of a I'm a little more down with the world of Bond than I think I could speak about this a little more uh, learnedly than I did last time. Well, you're so, you're watching them with your son, right? Am I correct that you're walking you your way through them? Okay, how old's your son? My son is eight. One of my sons. I have, perfect. I have three. Perfect. Time to start. So we Bond. <laughs> so we started with you know we were going in. It was great. We're going in in order. And we've done th- the first three Conneries. And I told him, well, you got to go a little out of order to watch License to Kill. And he goes, well, which one is that? And I, I, I go, it's, it was the one made in like 1989. <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. Which, which number? I'm like, I don't know, like fucking 18? 18 or 19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we skipped around a little bit. But um, did, did he, yeah. So he watched this with you? 
License to Kill, yes. Yes. So he, you, you sat your eight-year-old son down and watched <laughs> a man flog a woman, then a man's face explode in a pressure chamber. How's your son? Has he, has he come out of his room since? He's doing great. He's doing great. That Rollins has Rollins has seen worse than this, right, Kenny? Rollins is well. Look, the 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 man flogging the woman was a tough one to explain. Um, so I just pretended like it wasn't happening. Uh, I told him to close his eyes in the pressure chamber, which he okay. did. Okay. Um, yeah, no, he's watched R-rated movies because, as I've said on this podcast before, I I just ran out. I I, I watched every every single G th- through PG thirteen movie ever made, and by the time we got to Titanic. Uh, it was enough. So I but also like, you're, but you're also a cool dad, Kenny. Is the thing right? Like cool dad show kids. I'm cool the movies. coolest. I'm the coolest. So yes, like you gotta, true. you gotta, you gotta be a cool dad. This is a PG-13 movie. Believe it, it or not, License <laughs> to Kill is actually PG-13, and uh, it's insane. And yeah, it's uh, you know, I, it certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't. It wasn't the roughest movie he's seen. Um, so I think I must have been about his age, or maybe. A little bit, maybe nine or ten, when I watched this first mm-hmm. time, and that pressure pressure chamber. Yeah, I I forgot that it was this film, but that <laughs> stuck with me. That'll fuck you even up. now. Yeah, it's yeah, it's with me. It's it's, it's a really great. unsettling. It's not what you moment. expect. Well, that it's guy not, is such a piece of shit. He is. And he is. I really hated him the whole movie. Like you know, I, you know, when I watch these movies with my I son, you were it's talking about like- your son again. <laughs> <laughs> just depends on the day um but uh i i you i watch it like you know uh like, almost like you're watching a like, like a like a sporting event where i like yeah. that you know we, we talk over it about how awful these guys are and what horrible things sure, you're doing sure, sure. so it really really was quite cathartic to see that guy die because he is one of the most disreputable people uh in mm. bond history as far as i could tell can but. i also say too that i feel like if I got to watch this with Rollins, I might have enjoyed it more too. And this isn't to say that I didn't enjoy this film, but mm-hmm. like, is that that's got to be part of the experience for you, right, Kenny? To be able to sort of like in watching some of these films, maybe not in that, this film in particular, but like seeing your son's enjoyment is going to help you enjoy it too. I mean, I don't know if that's I, I I'm primed to like it, perhaps in a way that you weren't, right? Like it, my my experience will be better if he likes it so. I go into it with the best of uh, sure. expe- highest expectations to like it. I give it every benefit of every doubt. Um, and certainly, you know, I, and, and I certainly found the fun in this movie. Like, I really did think it was a lot of fun. So, I, I mean, do you so, agree yes. that Bond films should be for kids? Do I agree Bond, that Bond, Bond films should be for everyone? It should be for kids to watch and say, "Oh my god, I want to be a spy. That looks so cool." Not, 100. "Oh my god, I want to mope around Scotland and think about my family." You know what I think, Tom? That's a good question. Um, I think that there <laughs> should be. I think there should be Bond films for kids, right? Not exclusively I, for kids. Not like they shouldn't be. You know. Yeah. No. No. Disney I know. Bond. I. I, I. I feel like they should be I, family adventure Indiana Jones type. Films, which is why I'm not surprised that you started with the early ones with your well, son. We, yeah, and those work really well for him. The Connery ones work really well, and I think the Pierce Brosnan ones will work well. But I know I probably can't show them Casino Royale, for instance. So, uh, or at least for a while. But I want to. I, I want to have space. 
for that interpretation of the character because I love those yeah, Daniel yeah. Craig ones while Me also too. having those kinds of films, also having the, you know, the more fun, like rompy ones. So I think like Spider-Man does it really well right now um, where there are film right now. I think all these new Spider-Mans are actually for kids and they're fantastic, um, including Spider-Verse. But I also think there's, you know, there's a world where you can grow up with that character uh, and that character could be a little more edgy. Um, so, uh, yeah. I, I watched I, I, Into the Spider-Verse with my son. I saw it in the cinema. How old is your son? Loved it. And my son is five and a half. And he was like, what's this Into Spider-Verse? What's this Into Spider-Verse? I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. And I thought there's a lot for a kid to get his head around. But... He lapped it up because yeah, it's, it's so much fun. And it's How old so, is he now, your son? He's five and a half. Oh, so you saw it in, in theater with him like two years ago. No, no, no. I saw it in the cinema with a friend. And then when I was at home and when it was released oh, okay. at home, uh, I let him watch it. And I, well, that movie is also I covered so his like, eyes for when Kingpin sure. smashes down. Yeah, the but it's so visually Spider-Man. stimulating too, right? Like it's such a gorgeously animated film on top of everything that like even if he's not picking up story points – like no, quite. Like, it's just Which is what I think. Do, why I bring it up about Bond mm-hmm. is that levels that adults can enjoy, and then levels mm-hmm. that kids can enjoy. Well, and I think that this is an interesting. Um, I think this is an interesting point in terms of where we are in the Bond franchise with License to Kill, which is that. You know, people talk about how this film wasn't as successful. It still was successful. It just it was, was very released in a, successful. Ve- yeah, but released in a yeah. summer where there were so many other very successful films, it dwarfed its performance to a certain degree. They were planning on making a third one with Dalton. He's talked about like they were in pre-production. It was called, I think, like uh, Property of a Lady, I believe is what the title was uh, for the one that they were not, about to do. Not <laughs> the most that means. Uh, and uh, I mean, they were going to do it. So it wasn't like they were done with Dalton after this film. He ultimately pulled mm-hmm. himself out because it took so long for it to get up and, and running and what have you. But <clears throat> it feels like a real fulcrum point for the series too, not just because they changed to a different bond with Brosnan, but like the Brosnan ones have a decidedly different tone than this. And I mean, they are going for a much broader audience. I feel like in terms of just, there's a little bit, it's it's a little more playful. It's a little less dark and and violent to a certain degree um and and it just feels like it's and it's it's cold war stuff it's russians like it's all that kind like it it feels like they're going back to the well of stuff that people love about bond bond i i agree with what you're saying but bond is cinematic tofu whatever is happening in kind of action cinema at that point Bond then takes and, and makes a Bond on top of that. So the 90s Brosnan movies feel very Michael Bay, Bruckheimer influenced um, to me. And then this is, you know, someone said it on your Twitter, but I felt the same way. This is an episode of Miami Vice. Very. Um, okay. You know, Moonraker is, we're going to do our Star Trek Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, it always seems like Bond is half a step behind putting uh, Bond yes. into whatever is kind of hot in the moment, mm-hmm. but the, the character is so strong and the you know the the franchise has so much goodwill. I, I don't think that's ever really an issue. Well, it's interesting because at the time, apparently, the whole like cocaine smuggling backdrop that exists in this film. I think it was it was kind of dogged a little bit. You had Lethal Weapon, you had Beverly Hills Cop two, you had RoboCop. It was such a sort of tropey thing at that point mm-hmm. that 
Um, I think that that this film was maligned for that at the time as well, perhaps unjustly so. But like it's I'll say this and just just to be completely uh, full disclosure, I've not seen all of the Bond films. I've seen all the Pierce Brosnans. I've seen all the Daniel Craig's. I've seen a couple Connery's. I think I've seen one or two, maybe Roger Moore's. And that's kind of it. This was my first Dalton. I have not seen Living Daylights. So I can't speak to the entire franchise as a whole. I've never seen a Roger Moore uh, Bond. What? (laughs) I'll get there. I'll get there, I think, in four movies. So I take it that Roger Moore's your favorite Bond, Tom. Come on. How long have you known me, Phil? I'm assuming. Roger Moore's your favorite Bond. Roger Moore is my spirit animal. And my understanding is is the the Roger Moore Bonds are more of the family-friendly kind of vibe, right? The more playful, fun. Yeah. They're campier. He's pun-heavy, camp-heavy. Yeah. Yeah. He he went the longest, right? Like he went the he went to like the brink of being too old, correct? Yeah, although I think Connery was for his last one because Connery did the first few, right? Then right. took a break, and then, and then they let never say George never. Lazenby yeah. do it, and I think. But that was explicitly like then he came back yeah, and he was yeah. really old. That was explicitly like old man Bond. I never say <laughs> never again. But Roger Moore did. I, I look at that. Roger Moore did seven in, in succession. Yes. Um. If, and and I couldn't believe God how Lady it. did it. Was that? Thank God for it. Thank God. He oh, of course. Yes. I think from around seventy to eighty-five. So that's a Correct. you know that was that was a, a big stretch of Bond and, and coming off of Connery. That's kind of amazing that that yeah. people accepted him. But I I, I think that Tom maybe <laughs> you can help me with this. <laughs> the other character in British media. Well, I guess there's two. One is Sherlock Holmes, but that's hundreds of years old. The other one is Doctor Who, where mm-hmm. the where, where where British audiences have always accepted a turning over of this character, and particularly not even like the way Bond does it, where every guy has their own unique take on this character. So I and do now think female, because and now Doctor female, Who's yes. Female. I do think that there there had there was some uh, there there was some setting the stage certainly within England for this kind of reinvention of the character that mm. Americans always seem to push against like Val Kilmer takes over for Michael Keaton they're like ah, you know like I, there is always this thing that that we're like there's only one Batman you know but I, I don't know if that was the case back then I know that Daniel Craig had his issues when he became Bond but well it, it was a quite a quaint reason why people had issues with Daniel yes, Craig, I remember. and it's just because he was blonde. <laughs> and I remember headlines across the tabloids: um, James Blonde, and this will never work because he's got blonde hair. It's like, what? You want an old idiot? What? What? That's it. Um, the thing about Bond and with Doctor Who is, I think we love to uh, discuss who our favourites are. I think that's why we welcome it, because then we can have lots and lots of chat about what makes a character. And it's why it's a bit of a double-edged sword, really, is that everyone has an idea of what they want Bond to be. Everyone has an idea of what they want the Doctor to be. Um, And if it doesn't meet that individual's criteria, then, no, this is stupid. A woman? A woman Doctor? Nah. (laughs) How has that gone over? In England, 
Because I know people. What, Jody's people, doctor? Yes, because people here are oh, very supportive, been, but it's it. But oh, it's so people. Well, I mean, you get and, you get the the tabloids who are you know just bastards, and mm-hmm. uh, they like to be able to rake shit, especially if it's about a woman. Um, <laughs> but right. for the most part, I mean, Jody's first episode, I think, was the highest watched Doctor Who since Christopher Eccleston's first one. Um, who's, and yeah. who's your who's your favorite, Tom? I'm just because uh, Doctor Who is something that I would very much like to really binge with my son. Um, even going back to the '60s, as crazy uh, as the, I, I I have to say, Jody. Oh wow! <laughs> nice. Oh, is, are you friends with Jody? You'd kill me if I didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in reality, let's, I mean, let's, but, let's pretend this, this is, is ten years ago. This is, this is what says a lot about me. My favorite Bond is Roger Moore. I know he's not the best Bond. Sean Connery's the best Bond, but mm-hmm. Roger is my favorite. And my favorite Doctor is Sylvester McCoy. He's not the best, but he's my favorite. Is he and the they're very, one? very similar. They're both kind of. There are lots of uh, lots of jokes, and you know. This is, this I, think is like, I think Kenny and I had the same moment of. Who's Sylvester McCoy? This is the well, exactly. right, so this, this is what I know about uh, about Doctor Who. Uh, nothing except <laughs> I have a I have a book. Tom, you might know this book series, uh, the the Who Was or Who Is book series for kids, like these little biographies that they do for kids. So they're not like picture books, oh, or yeah. chapter books, yeah, but yeah, they're yeah. like a hundred pages, and you know, you read we it, and I and I. I got Rollins, who was Doctor Who. He wanted it. He wanted to know. So we read it together, and it's basically just a rundown of, like, how many Doctors have there been? Like, nine now? Ten? Nine, right? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, there have been 13? Yeah. And what was the prophecy? There's going to be, like, 14, and then the world explodes? At 12, I think, the prophecy was. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, can we, can we just say well, like, the mythology of Doctor Who is so making it up as you go along? It's unbelievable. That's awesome, though. I, I, I wish we had something like that in this country. Know, it's I embarrassing know. we don't. I watched, then you're I right not- to bring up Batman. You're right to bring up yes. Batman. Uh, and it's the same thing. Everyone has their favorite Batman. And it's either the Batman that you watched when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it usually always is. Sylvester McCoy was the Doctor when I was young, and Roger Moore was the first Bond that I ever saw. So maybe there's nostalgia. It does feel also like, and perhaps this says more about America than anything, but now it's who's your favorite Joker as well. <laughs> like now there's like I mean, oh, so many Jokers in the in the mix. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't have a favorite Any, anyone Joker. who refuses to. Shave their moustache. <laughs> sure, it has to be waxed over. Yeah, so, so right it's, it's Romero's your favorite. <laughs> my, my favorite. My favorite Joker is Jared Leto, of course. But you know, of course, because he's damaged. <laughs> me. I always, I always love Leto's Joker, Clooney's Batman, and I'm a big Laz, <laughs> big Lazenby guy. So you know, that's that's where I, I go. hear that Lazenby. I've not seen the Lazenby movie, but people really love the Lazenby movie. It's yeah, just it's right. the one where Bond gets married, which is why everyone's just like, oh, I'm actually Secret Service. Yeah, There's William. a really yeah. interesting bit. You don't have to get that, though, right? She dies, doesn't she? Yeah, she's yeah. like married, married for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's Tracy, crazy. Tracy Bond. But the Tracy opening, the, when there's a, I know, <laughs> Tracy. Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> of all the people Bond goes for, he ends up with Tracy. Yeah. Um, where, at the very beginning, he has the, 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 he's trying to seduce a girl 
And then some baddies come along and he has to do a big fight and the girl pisses off in a car and runs away. And he picks up her shoes. He's on a beach and looks after her and then says, this never happened to the other fella and looks into oh, the camera. Oh, that's good. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Bond writes a camera? Right that's camera. amazing. It's never happened to the other guy. That's, that's so fun. weird. That's so, so weird. Isn't it? That's so weird. He was Australian. See, so I, I want to just... I I'm very sort of split on this movie. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it not because for a bunch of reasons, but because I, I don't really know where I land on it. I, I feel like it doesn't feel very British to me because of its landscape and because of its subject matter, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not that's I'm not dogging that. I'm just saying that that's an interesting thing about it. Before we dive yeah. into License to Kill, I I, I am a I I want do want to hear a little bit more. Uh, from Tom about your experience with Bond sure, growing sure, sure. up, what it meant to you as a kid, as an actor, as a film fan, um, your friends. Like I, I, I don't think I have a great understanding of just how important Bond is to a child growing up in in England. Bond has always been. When you're a kid, you watch Bond and you think. I want to be a spy. That's what I want. I want to be that. And I like that the, one of the reasons I like the Roger Moore Bonds and the Connery ones is there's something really tongue-in-cheek about them, which is so British. It's such a British tongue-in-cheek. I don't think an American production of Bond would have uh, uh, Bond ski off a mountain and then the parachute is a Union Jack. And... <laughs> Um, as I said, there's always discussions. Who will the next Bond be? Who should the next Bond be? Who's your favourite Bond? What do you like about Bond? And Bond's always been there. Every Christmas, it's the stuff that's on every weekend running up to Christmas. And there are Bond marathons on on telly. So he's kind of always there. It never inspired me to be an actor. <laughs> Although Roger Moore is, you know, but that's my, cool. There's there's a place in London. It's called Spotlight, and it's um uh, like audition rooms. So you go there to and you queue up, and it's full of fucking actors, and you wait to go into little rooms and do terrible auditions for jobs you won't ever get. And when you go up the stairs, they've painted on the wall lots of little drawings of different actors. Uh, with a quote from each of them. So there's Maggie Smith and there's Laurence Olivier and Cumberbatch. And then there's a drawing of um, uh, Roger Moore. And the quote is, my acting range, left eyebrow raised or right eyebrow raised? (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask what your first... That's great, that's an entire career. What was your first Bond movie? The first one you saw? Was it Licensed to Kill? I can't remember. Okay. I really can't remember. I remember I, I, I read mine was. <laughs> Go on. Mine was, mine was Goldeneye. I saw it in the theater. It was the first Bond movie I ever saw. So I was 13 before I ever saw a Bond movie. Really? That was the first and, one I saw in the cinema. And I've seen every Bond in the cinema since. Even the so really terrible there, there are two. I want to ask another question about that. But when you're talking about... Bond being on television every Christmas and marathons and that kind of thing. The closest comparison I could think to America is not a character, but an actor. It reminds me a little bit of John Wayne, of the way John Wayne movies for a certain generation of people fit that 
you know, fit that bill, play it over and over again and have encyclopedic knowledge of what he did and uh, kind of this, you know, it's not highbrow stuff. It's certainly not lowbrow stuff, but it's this, this, this populist fair that, uh, that, that was very Americana in its own way. An interesting difference between the two is, although John Wayne, obviously, you know, old cowboys, he's a blue collar hero. Whereas mm. Bond is completely alien to 90% of the population. Is that you so? Know, he's, he's a private schoolboy, uh, then went to Cambridge, joined the army. He's incredibly wealthy. He's posh. He's white. He goes around the world to places doing things that none of us can ever dream of doing. And so I wouldn't even say it's an aspirational thing. It's just he's alien. He's something other to most of us. Superhero. Whereas John, yeah, exactly, superhero, which I think is also why the fun knockabout kids romp bond is so great because it plays into the superhero thing rather than the, when the I think that, you know, I mean, wounded Superman. We talked, I mean, obviously we're talking about the, the, the casting changes, but, but it should also be said the tonal changes as well. Like what each actor brings to it obviously has a different vibe, right? Which is why everyone's like, this is my favorite Bond, this is my favorite Bond. But that flexibility of character is also, I mean, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, Kenny, when we did The World Is Not Enough, of just how perennial and flexible the character of James Bond is. I mean, perhaps more so than any other character I can think of. Mm-hmm. Just I think that's of, why it, yeah. it was so disappointing, the later Pierce sure. Brosnan films. Sure. Yes. Because I think he's perfect for Bond. Yeah. yeah. He can nail the, the corny jokes and make them seem not corny. He can yeah. really do the action stuff well. You can completely buy him in the character, but he wasn't really served very well by Invisible Cars and John Cleese. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, I love GoldenEye. I think GoldenEye is one of my favorite Bond films. And it's probably because of the age I was at and where it hit me and all that sort of stuff. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies is not very good. I, I just, I think that, um, why am I drawing a blank on on the villain, the the actor who plays the villain, in that, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. Some like sort of Rupert Murdoch character. Like yeah. yeah. And then we talked about World is Not Enough, which I actually quite like, even if it's kind of a weird movie. And then Die Another Day is just a disaster. And it's why they felt they had no choice but to kind of reboot the whole franchise at that point. But you know what's funny? Okay, so the, when I say I saw my first Bond film, uh, GoldenEye was 95, so I was 13 years old. Um, License to Kill was 89. That was, you know, six years prior. I was seven years old. Um mm-hmm. This is the longest hiatus between a theatrical Bond film, yep. 89 to 95, right in the sweet spot for us, Phil, right when yep. we would have yep. been going to see these movies totally. in the theaters. So yep. it's an interesting thing for us in particular that Bond wasn't a, a, wasn't a, a feature of our childhood. If, you, if we God came to Bond, it came to us a little later, or it was inculcated on, upon us by our parents – when we were uh, younger, based on these older movies, and I, my, my, even though my dad loves Bond, I didn't even know that. Um, he never made a point of showing me the Connery Bonds or the Roger Moore Bonds. Mm. So I wonder what that was like that moment because Bond never waits that long to get rebooted, right? I Correct. think uh, right. Goldeneye was what a couple years after Die Another Day, two, three years after. Casino Royale was a few years after Die Another Day. Yeah, so I'm saying, yeah. Um, I, sorry, yeah. Uh, I, what was that like? Those six years 
in England without a Bond film. How did that well, feel? from 1989? 89 to 95, 89 like to figuring 95. out. Because I, because here's what, like, just a little more context. I, thought that bond was a franchise when i in 95 was franchise from forever ago right was a franchise right. from forever it was not a living breathing thing it was a rebooted thing brought back from the dead um <clears throat> in the context of now six years is nothing but i i bet those six years felt like i don't know i'm, I'm interested or if you if probably if you, i mean i was the i was how old was i in 1989 seven so from after this film, I mean, I wasn't really aware Pink, of, yeah. I didn't go to the cinema and watch them. I didn't really see did them you a great like, deal on TV absence, back then. Did you feel an absence as but, a kid? But, but, the well, Nirvana. I think, yes, because like you said, it seemed like something from a parent's generation, mm -hmm. which I guess it was, but it felt really like a cool discovery. When you saw a, a Bond film and then for the first time, there's no one like Sean Connery or Roger Moore around. Thank God there's no one like Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, I um, think it's, I do think it's interesting what you're, what you're talking about, Kenny, in terms of the, of this sort of, this vacuum, right? And, yeah. and yeah. what sort of tried to fill that over the course of those years. Um, I mean, we do get Mission Impossible, but that doesn't come until 96. So it is actually after GoldenEye. Mm -hmm. um, so it, when, it is... When's um, uh, Austin Powers, the first Austin Powers? That's 97. Because the second one is 97. 99. We did it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I remember. I listened to it. <laughs> yeah. That's my <laughs> <man> right there. <laughs> but, but I just think but it's, you know... The first one was 97. Yeah, there's it's it is interesting well, that first and foremost, just for context perspective, I guess there was some sort of there was uh, issues with MGM in terms of rights and in terms of of all that sort of shit. That's what the holdup was behind. Uh, yes, the film was called uh, Property of a Lady, which was to start shooting in 90. Uh, and then uh, Dalton retires in 94 and then 95. They do Goldeneye. So it's 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 essentially it's five years of like legal issues and bullshit back and forth between them. And that's what leads to this sort of issues. Um, but it works out obviously great for Pierce Brosnan um, and, and ultimately for the series. I don't know what this, apparently this film was going to be about um, some sort of, uh, it was going to be about technology or some, some sort of bullshit in terms of like, I don't know what it was, but um, I feel like I have it here, but whatever, I'll find it and we'll talk about it. But um, I, I just, I think that it's interesting I want to talk about the Dalton of it all for a second. He only does two of these movies. Um, he kind of gets screwed a little bit in the sense that Living Daylights, which I've never seen, but uh, past and future guest Eric Carrasco came on for World Is Not Enough. I was texting with him. He really likes Living Daylights. He feels like that's a much more classically Bond film. You know, it's Cold War. It's yeah. all that sort of shit. Um, they do this film uh, because apparently, and I something about production in London. There was some issue with shooting in London. Uh, Eon Productions had basically had rising costs and there was some sort of guild shit. And I don't know, but they couldn't shoot in London, which is why this film takes place entirely outside of London for the first time for a Bond film. And in China, they were and going to shoot it in China. They were going it wasn't to shoot in going China. to be Correct. a South American drug thing 
at all. Yes, they had a whole chase sequence along the Great Wall that they had that, that they had planned. Amazing. Would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally called License Revoked, a less a less effective title. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But uh, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's they talk about they compared the script to uh, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. The writer had the audacity to compare it uh, to that. Very similar. Wow. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's just it's interesting. These Bond films, and I'm sure you you know this, Tom, but like there's so much rumor and conjecture around them as to like what's this one about and where does it take place and who's the Bond girl and who's the villain. Like we still do that today. Which shows yeah. that like people's love for this franchise has not gone anywhere. Um, no, you're right, Phil. So yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I also want to you say that uh, that Dalton claims that uh, Bond doesn't have as much sex in this movie because of AIDS at the time. He said that in an interview, claiming, but I don't think this guy doesn't have sex in this movie. He has sex with. Two different women, multiple times. He did. That's so something Timothy Dalton would say. (laughs) It's so Dalton. Yeah. Uh, So, but let's talk Uh about Dalton. I met Timothy Dalton once. Was he nice? Was he lovely? Well, I say met. I bumped into him. I was. It was only a couple of years ago. Uh Uh, I was at the theater. Yeah. It might have been the last play I saw before um, the fucking virus thing. And I'd walk around a corner, and he was watching the play as well. Walk around the corner, and like bumped into this guy who I'm six foot one, and he still he towered over me. Oh, he wow. was just big, and I went, "Oh God, I'm sorry," and realised it was Dalton. And he looked down at me, and he said, "There's no need to apologise." And he was <laughs> the most beautiful man I have ever seen in my life. And the fact that he only I believe had sex you. With two women in this film is unbelievable because well, I would have he he could have kissed me right then and I would not have thought. And I went back to my seat and I said to my wife, I've just bumped into Timothy Dalton and all I want is to bump into Timothy Dalton again. Because <laughs> he is that's tremendous. so beautiful. That's and great. I think it's criminal that he was given this hairdo. In, uh, yeah, what are they doing with his it hair is, in this movie? It is criminal. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. It's one of the worst haircuts in the history of film, um, and oh, and everything else about it is is everything about else about the movie is in a style that like I have such deep affinity for. Like sure. this late this late eighties Miami Deco thing, I am crazy <laughs> about. I'm I, I and I and uh, the hair destroys this film. I'm interested in. So much, Tom. So, I, such a curious guy. But I'm interested in uh, Dalton in general, right? Who is Timothy yeah. Dalton? Uh, what was he before Bond? And do all men and women want to faint when they see him in public? Is he? Oh, probably. Now, uh, is he better looking Bond, now than he was then? In your opinion? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's yeah, aged I mean, really well. Penny dreadful. Watch him in Penny Dreadful. Yeah, he's great in Penny Dreadful. Amazing. And he's a brilliant, well, he's a, he shows that he's a brilliant actor as well. He's a real classically trained actor. He's, you know, he's, he's, he, he's um, you wouldn't know Bond, it from watching this film, but he's. No, exactly. I think before Bond, he, he certainly wasn't a huge star. He was, no, I mean, I'm doing, uh, he 
did rep theatre up in um, Glasgow with my wife's stepdad. Uh, mm, back really? when my wife's stepdad was an actor, and they were in a, a series, a season of plays together. And I think it was during that that he was offered Bond and uh, left early, which Charlotte's stepdad was delighted with because he was understudying him. So he actually got to. <laughs> I mean, but no, Bond. He wasn't, he wasn't like a household name. Yeah, I mean, before Bond, I'm just looking at his filmography here. I mean, he's in The Lion of Winter. He's in uh, Wuthering Heights in 1970. Um, Mary Queen of Scots was in 71. Was he Heathcliff? He was Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights. Uh, the, the, I didn't this know is that. Just a, a very young man we're talking yes. about. This, yeah. is, it, this is 1970. So, yeah. you know, he doesn't do Living Daylights till 87. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's... So that's interesting to me, too, because Connery had never really done much. I mean, he'd done a little bit before he was Bond. Roger Moore, not that much before he was Bond. Tim Dalton, not that much before he was Bond. This was all pre, I I don't know about Lesby. It was all pre-Bond speculation to some extent, because Pierce Brosnan was a name by the time he did Bond. Pierce Brosnan had done Remington Steel, and Pierce Brosnan, he wasn't Daniel Craig, who was a bona fide movie star at that point. But that it, it is interesting that, you know, I think Timothy Dalton is kind of the last anonymous bond. Right. That feels that feels right to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that I mean, I, I, I can't speak to, um, to to Roger Moore prior to Bond because he did he did start doing Bond relatively late. So I don't I, I just don't know his career prior to that. But to your point, it, was, it certainly didn't travel overseas. I, I read that Dalton was offered it earlier. I think he was offered it uh, um, when Roger Moore was offered it, maybe. But he thought uh, he was possibly. too young. No, George Lazenby. It was when Lazenby. George Lazenby, Lazenby was makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he thought he was too young because he was early. He's always to been on the radar. 20s. Yeah. And uh, George well, Lazenby Brosnan was and Brosnan was offered it before he couldn't get out of his Remington Steel contract. So if I'm not mistaken, he really? was offered it perhaps prior to Living Daylights, like before. I'm guessing was Brosnan was offered it at birth. I guess he, I guess he <laughs> came out and they're like, we have to sign you to a future Bond deal because you're the only, no one will yeah. ever look more like James he Bond. Shot yeah. out of the womb and a parachute <laughs> with a head of hair. Jack as he fell da, in. Da, da, da. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So it really is. About, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. The other thing about Timothy Dalton that I want to bring up mm-hmm. is my son loved this movie, uh, License to Kill. <laughs> Did not love timothy dalton like interesting like he was like i love he's it he's a grown-up I, bond he is a grown-up bond he said he was, and he was definitely to, before his time yeah he really liked uh he really likes connery's portrayal a lot um i there's something about connery that just kind of feels very comfortable to him and yeah he, he, and, and i'll tell you i i felt the same way i i actually think this movie's great uh i love an 80s action movie i love an 80s action premise I don't care that that it's um, biting off of the other 80 action, 80s action movie at the time because I haven't just sat through Lethal Weapon and all these movies in the, in the you know preceding years. Um, this is this is like where I live to some extent, and I also like the I, th- I think the the plot's wonderful. I'm very into uh, the the SWAT of it, an escaped convict mm. paying people to, um, to to let him go, and the revenge, the simple revenge thriller. But I did think Timothy Dalton was a bit of a charisma suck. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. I don't. No, know I wonder that, whether that's. I wonder whether that's because of. I mean, the script. It's Bond. He's miserable. His yeah. his best mate's just had his leg bitten off, and he's and his wife's been try. raped and murdered. You know. Oh yeah. So and, uh, 
Because my food bombs <laughs> definitely shag. Yeah. It's oh, 100%. At the right. wedding, the kissing between them? A lot I mean, of kissing going on. But I don't think Felix <laughs> even cared. <laughs> I don't think Felix gave a shit. <laughs> I don't think he cared either. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I agree with what you're saying, Kenny, about him being um, a bit of but a But I think that's why, it, because it's low, it's a bummed out bond. It, and I would love yeah. to have seen Dalton with more uh, of a flary script. Because it it's seems a, as though the other people, the other characters were given the one-liners. Yes. Q. But it's it's more of – Q is great. It's great. more of a uh, – and that man is was has was the same age I think for like 30 years. But um, <laughs> it's more of a Daniel Craig storyline. It's something that Daniel yes. Craig plays really well. It's yeah. like – because he wouldn't be – he wouldn't play it so much – as a as a dower uh, bond, it, it's a focused bond, right? It's a man on a very specific mission to avenge the death of his best friend, or the you know, the shark bite of his best friend. Um, and <laughs> I shark do, bite. I, I do feel what you felt, Tom, which is it did feel like he was just kind of a little sad throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. It, it's. I also. I mean, part of it also feels a little bit like. I'm not sure that James Bond, or certainly this version of James Bond, fits in this universe, like in this script. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that James Bond and Miami Vice necessarily are a good fit. Now, it's possible that a different Bond might have been able to imbue it with a little bit more charisma. I don't know, but... I'm going to say something that I know Kenny will not like. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) They could have cut almost all of the Florida stuff. I think it feels to me like two separate films. There's the Which Florida is the Florida stuff. The beginning stuff? The beginning stuff. Oh, that's the stuff they I could like. Have, which is seriously lacking in fish puns. <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as he heads, um, I mean, come on, License to Krill, I wrote down. <laughs> <in the first time. laughs> and then when he heads, when he heads south, when he heads south, it's a completely different film. And suddenly yeah, you've yeah. got the televangelist and you've got bad guys and you've got um, uh, Chinese fight sequences. I, I don't disagree. completely different. And I don't I disagree. Do think, I think, I I do think, think it starts on a downer. The whole of that first mm. hour is a bit of an energy drag. And then finally it becomes a Bond film. I, uh, yeah. I yeah. love the... the Opening the the opening sequence, so I would certainly keep that. I'm I liked the, the yes, I liked the, I, I liked the thing with the plane the, uh, that Chris Nolan I, stole for uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yes, and I liked the <laughs> parachuting in, and I think it's like that to me. That's the height of charm. Parachuting into a wedding and just going about the wedding as you as as nothing happened. Love. Getting off one bride. Can I also just say? Can I say when they parachute into the wedding? I thought to myself like. Would, like it would actually maybe be fun to parachute into a wedding. Like Kenny, did you think like if you parachuted no. into your own wedding? No, you wouldn't want to do that. She would have married, she would have married me either way. <laughs> I just—it's such a like you're never going to do anything that ridiculous or insane again. Like you're setting up the marriage to fail. That's what I think. But anyway, I, I, I everything about that beginning was like to me because that's like when I texted you, Phil, that I loved it like that. Every that's that that is that wild, aggressive, insane bond. They left they left for half an hour 
to go arrest a drug dealer and got back in time to yeah. to make the wedding. That's awesome. And then I agree with you, Tom. Yeah. I think pretty quickly after, you could have, you know, done the leg stuff <laughs> and <laughs> done all the great shark stuff with, with Benicio, who is incredible. And He's talk amazing. about a talk about a gorgeous man. Yeah. Um and then you could have gone down to Cuba and we could have had a lot of fun. It's Can I just, city. I, I will say though that if we did make if we made the cuts that you're suggesting, Tom, we'd lose perhaps one of my favorite moments in the entire film, which is when just when Bond goes to the Pan Am counter to buy a ticket oh, so and good. the girl behind the counter goes, Some big drug dealer just escaped. <laughs> <laughs> and he just peels off. So good. <laughs> It's just oh my god. I mean that is how you make uh, movies. (laughs) That is that right there, that should be taught in schools because I'll never forget it. It's a great moment. Never forget it. The information got out that needed to get out, and we could just move on. Move on to more fights and more fucking somewhere. I wrote down it was when um, Sanchez was being interrogated. The, Over the, the shark guy tank. who ends up, being, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh. Uh, when he's been arrested, yeah, and oh, he's yes, in the before he escapes, yeah. yeah, and he's offering the two million dollars and all the rest of it, and it's two. a scene that is entirely exposition. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> but I wrote down. I don't know why exposition doesn't work with a southern accent. <laughs> I mean, can I just say that as someone that has that has forced Tom to say hours of expositional dialogue, it sounds better <laughs> with a British accent. Let me tell yeah. you. That's it that, also- that's an old American trick. Have the Brit yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean That's why that's why Jeremy Irons was cast. I've seen the original Watchmen. <laughs> Adrian V is is not British. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let me just very briefly read the synopsis for our listeners who might not have seen this film. James Bond, uh, this James Bond adventure in which 007 relinquishes his license to kill, disobeys his orders and goes on a mission of revenge when his best friend's wife is killed by a drug baron, a beautiful CIA pilot flies him to Sanchez's South American headquarters where disguised as a hitman Bond is hired by a villainous drug dealer. Written by Michael G. Wilson and Richard Maubaum. Directed by John Glenn. This is his fifth Bond film in a row. It would end up being his last. Uh, License to Kill opened on July 14th, 1989 in fourth place behind Lethal Weapon 2, Batman, wow. and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, it would go on to make $156 million worldwide on a $32 million budget. It has 78% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 61 from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half out of four stars, said License to Kill ends, as all the Bond films do, with an extended chase and stunt sequence. This one involves some truly amazing stunt work and three giant gasoline trucks. I lost count. There's more than three in that scene. I guarantee you. (laughs) But anyway, uh, there were moments when I was straining to spot the trickery as a big semi-rig spun along, tilted to one side to miss a missile aimed at the bad guys. Uh, but it. the stunt all looks convincing and the effect on the closing sequence is exhilarating. On the basis of the second performance as Bond, Dalton can have the role as long as he wants it. <laughs> uh, he makes an effective Bond, lacking Sean Connery's grace and humor and Roger Moore's suave self-mockery. But with a lean tension and toughness that is possibly more contemporary, the major difference between Dalton and the early Bonds is that he seems to prefer action to sex. Uh, but then so does the movie business. 
these days. License to Kill is one of yeah. the best of the recent Bonds. Uh, that's, I'm gonna just- that's such an Ebert line because e- the, 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 the biggest lament of Ebert's career is yes. less action, more sex. Let, yes. All he wants is for, he for wants. naked women jumping around on trampolines. That, Correct. That's what he thinks. Correct. And like, and like to his credit, he's very open about it. He wrote one movie. I think it was. I think it was naked women jumping on trampolines for forty-five minutes. Correct. And Correct. then t- and, take, Correct. and taking yeah. drugs. Yeah. yeah. That, that's. I mean, that's his bit. I mean, it's why he loved American Beauty as much as he did. Why he's such a creep. Yeah. God rest his soul. <laughs> I, I do think though that this film is pretty grimy. Like it's kind of a gross movie at times like i think about that bar that they go to do you know what i'm talking about when that yes. was that, the giant bar fight with the man wielding a giant sword Love it. 1980s bar fight i wrote down the swordfish the swordfish <laughs> i wrote down in my notes and in capital letters i wrote this is fucking bond <laughs> <laughs> because it's that's it, what i want is, a man with a swordfish giant a swordfish <laughs> Oh, and Marlin, it was awesome. That was great. I, I remember I screamed. It was Marlin, Marlin. Yeah, sure. I'm like, uh, <laughs> like he's going to get up with the Marlin. Like, that's fun shit. <laughs> that, that reminds me a little yeah. bit of Dr. No. That's like, that is, that feels like Bond to me. There's always some grimy bar where some shit goes down. And there's yeah. like, like oh, some place that James Bond never should be, you know? Uh, well, I guess he I should that. be that. He does hang out there. This movie is, it, it's actually a But fantastic. she, this is, this raises another point. She, Pam, the least Bond girl name. Pam Bouvier. Pam, Pam Bouvier. I know, and then she goes by Kennedy. That's your, oh, I got it. Pam Bouvier <laughs> definitely is at home there. Mm-hmm. And they make a point of showing that Bond is out of his, you know, he comes with his little pistol and yeah. she's got a shotgun. And she yeah. saves him from the bar fight. And it's Correct. the start of the point that in this film, they're trying to be more progressive with how they portray the women. Yes. Pam Bouvier can hold her own. She's a CIA operative. She's Bond's equal. Um, the she other, can fly a plane. She can fire a gun. Like she's, she's, uh, yeah. Bond yeah. needs her in order to yeah. chase the bad guy. And yeah. um, what was the other girl's name? Lupe. 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 Okay. Lupe is someone, she says she struggled for 15 years to get out of her her home country. And she... Really? She, uh, yeah, that was a line of dialogue that she says towards the end. And she, uh, Sanchez is textbook gaslighting her in an abusive relationship, but she's trying to work her way out. And there, there are elements to these women that are more progressive, yep. but then it just disappears. At the end, it's and, any, yeah. any attempt. They, all, it's just they completely out of fall water. in love with Bond. They're completely, um, you know, helpless damsels in distress, and they both want to snog him at the end. I so do close. think that, to, to, but to your point, it does feel like they're given like definition and like character, right? Like there, there is dimension to a certain degree to these characters that we have not really seen in in the female Bond characters before this. But then they, to your point, throw it mm-hmm. all away in the third act, and they both want to fuck him. So, <laughs> which is why it's like I say, it's two different films split down the middle. I, I also have uh, no idea what's happening in this movie. For most, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like I, I, I'm with again, you. I'm with you. It's a, yeah, it's a real shut your brain off movie, which is why oh, I was yeah. able to enjoy it. 
But I don't understand why Sanchez took Bond in. I never got – was I missing connected tissue? What well, happened there? Well, he, kind he, of- Bond goes to the <clears throat> casino and yes. pretends to lose to get Sanchez's attention, then starts winning. Sanchez invites him in. And to find out who Bond is, and Bond reveals that he's basically uh, a gun for hire. That he used to be with the British Secret Service, yes, yes, and now he's a protector. And Sanchez, for some reason, despite his thousands of goons, and he talks about loyalty all the time, and they're clearly mm-hmm. loyal to him, thinks, "Oh yeah, I'll have this guy as well." It doesn't make I'll, a great deal of sense. I'll put him there. in the. I'll put him in my finest room. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, some of these goons had already had. Fights with James Bond, but Nietzsche had seen him before earlier in that earlier in the movie. So his plan. Yes, was but absurd. I don't think Benicio sees him until they're in the lab. Doesn't see because he's not in under the, the mask. You, no, no, you're you're totally yeah. you're totally right. You're totally Which right. Which is why but, he then has a gun right. Yes, yes. <clears throat> you're totally right that that's the first time Benicio sees him, but. Bond didn't know that was going to be the first time he's gone. So that was a, I, I'm saying what a what a bad plan that like this guy who's his right hand. You're lucky that he went. You know, I, I think he might have gone to Haiti for the weekend because he got to hang out. Otherwise, you can know, I, he might have he might have gotten got a little earlier. Can I say where the film makes my head hurt? It's the Wayne Newton cult component that they need as a front. I had to look that up. That, that, that actually, that actually was brilliant. <laughs> Where I'm just like, and then they're using they're they're putting the drugs in the gasoline and the petrol, and then removing it later once they. It's just it's it's a very. I had to watch this film again to understand it. I watched it earlier this week, and then I had to watch it a second time to even come close to understanding. There are so many different types of henchmen doing so many different things. There's the, the, the money man, the little sure. the money guy. Mm-hmm. No yep. point. Cut oh, him. Yeah. He, oh, goes, yeah. he stays in Florida. Put him in Florida, cut the whole thing. Yeah, get, him. get rid of him yeah. totally. Yeah. You, then, the, then you yeah, also- the televangelist, the professor, what's his jobs? No, yeah, no. Tell the Joe Butcher. Joe Butcher. That's a completely different film. But that's he's cool. His own that's good film. And then don't forget about the, 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 the Hong Kong. Of, that's a Roger Moore Bond film. There. The Hong yeah. Kong Narcotics Bureau that comes involved, and those guys sh- shooting up that like it just has a oh, lot yeah. of moving pieces. That was fun too. That was fun. That was <laughs> very bondy. To, that was very bondy to me. And then that, suddenly, like, there's another British guy. After two viewings, I don't know who the British guy was who was with the Hong Kong contingent. That one I, I can't help. Just no, to inject Bond and take him back to that one. I don't know. Also, uh, in that, did you notice in that fight with the uh, with the two Chinese guys and Bond? Yeah. Did you notice the sound in that? No. It absolutely sounds like afterwards they went. They added on someone with their mouth. Doing kung fu noises. <laughs> Look up that scene. It must be on YouTube on its own. Oh, and also in the tanker scene, yes, chase yes. at the end, yeah. which I yeah. love. I Great. had to rewind it to watch it again, and then I watched it a third time because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Bond flies in on the plane, yes. jumps on a tanker. Sanchez is in a car. 
Bond goes down by the wheels and Sanchez with an Uzi shoots out. Now you listen there because this is so this is so brilliant. And I wrote down again, this is fucking Bond in capitals. He fires and you get the sounds of all the ricochets off the uh, off the, the truck. The ricochets play the Bond theme. Oh, that's they go awesome. pew 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 One hundred percent. I swear to you. I remember. You know, listen, that's, to it you don't it's a good movie. Then you don't actually like cinema. It's very. <laughs> that was. That's a. That's a. I mean, this nailed it. This movie also, you know, at the beginning or in the sort of the first third, we have all this like shark stuff. We have all this aquarium stuff, which also feels very Bond to me. Lowering people into tanks. Putting people electric in tanks, electric, <laughs> hooking yeah, also, someone's also, and pulling them into a tank that has an electric eel in it is just incredible. That was good. <laughs> also, there's the the thing with the conveyor belt into the <laughs> cocaine masher. Cocaine masher. <laughs> <laughs> the, co- the, the the cocaine saw. I'm not sure yeah. what that was, but uh, very dangerous. A lot oh. of fun. How many conveyor belts have there been in Bond films? I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's not fantastic. enough. Not enough. It's great. It's great. Uh, but I love this movie does sort of, you have this moment where Lighter is, or Felix is being lowered into the tank, right? And, they're t- and he's like, where's my wife? Um, and Benicio says, don't worry, we gave her a nice honeymoon, which is. Honeymoon! Not a, he really milks that honeymoon line. Yeah. And, and I love that because we all know Benicio and his shtick now and i love it i'm a big fan of his sure it's so nice to see that that's not put on that was him (laughs) even when he was 21 that's just naturally del toro and thank god for it i love him yep i also love felix felix being lowered into the tank and screaming i'll see you in hell is like this is this is that is bond to me like that type of stuff of just like the over, just playing for the cheap seats. And, and sur- surviving this one, I don't know how he survived yeah. it. I like that they, they they basically they basically wrapped him in newspaper, and they're like well, you know <laughs> Seattle, they're like Seattle fish market threw him onto the bed, but he turned out to be still alive. How do we uh, feel about the note that's left on him? I love the note more than so good. He disagreed with something that ate him. <laughs> so stupid. Are you telling me that if if either of you were sitting at your little laptops, writing out your tapping, tapping, tapping out your script, and you came up with suddenly he disagreed with something that ate him, you would not sit in your chair and say, that is a good day's work. I would. I would. Yeah, it's great. But I would also probably think feel the same way after Sharky sees him in the hospital and says, "Chainsaw my ass! I know a shark bite when I see it." I love the idea. I love the idea that that changes it somehow, as if they went after with a chainsaw. Like, (laughs) all right, all right, big deal. Cuban drug smugglers go after people with chainsaws every day. What else is new? This is shark. This is shark man, and of course, Sharky knows. A shark bite when he sees him. <laughs> I, I love. I mean, his name's Sharky. Now I'm wondering because obviously all the stuff is on purpose. Um, yeah. I, I am. <laughs> I, 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 I am wondering why they why they didn't just amp up the camp 
just a little more. I agree. Because if you did yeah. amp up the camp just a little more because you're so close, uh, this feels like it would have been a classic bond. I agree. No? I completely agree. If it just – if it was just a little – just uh, yeah, a little more playful, a little lighter, a little campier. It would have just. It, it, it would have really. It definitely yeah. seems like they they're going down the darker route, despite themselves. Yeah, I. They yeah, can't. I they can't get away from it. They can't get away from what makes Bond Bond. Yeah, and, and those Bond a, bits. Uh, you know, Kenny, you'd said the opening. He says, "Let's go fishing before jumping down to oh. hook a plane." So good. It's so good. I I mean, speaking of the planes, there's a whole seaplane sequence that, I mean, I will never get tired of Bond throwing henchmen out of planes and just hearing them scream as as they're flailing out of planes. Like... When he opens the the emergency the whole, the whole door, awesome, and the guy just and the guy just goes out with the door, it's great. It's just it's good stuff. Starting with <laughs> starting with him throwing the guy overboard, stealing yeah. his oxygen tank, <laughs> underwater fight. My son was like, my son was like, wait, do you fight slower underwater? I'm like, yeah, dude. Have you ever swam? <laughs> so Such an embarrassing moment for me as a father. <laughs> The underwater fight scene. I mean, yeah. yeah, the underwater. I mean, well, I mean, that's like Thunderball is. That's sort of like that's the watermark. No pun intended for the underwater sequences. But like, I don't know. There's something great about. It's just so stupid. Just people with fucking harpoons and scuba. I, it's it's great. It's great. My favorite yeah. Bond film is The Spy Who Loved Me, and that's entirely underwater. The, the baddie has an underwater lair. His whole plan is to flood the entire world so that we all have to live underwater. Oh, style. I, that's I a can't great fucking plan. Movies. I, like, I'm so excited. I got to power through these last two Conneries. And then I can get... What are the last two Conneries? I think Thunderball is one of them. And then... Um, I think it's... I, I mean, never say never, but that comes... Well, I'm not counting that. Yeah, I'm yeah. In chronological yeah. order, the next yeah. one is... It's, I don't yeah, know We'll power through them. The bond and water, they go together very yeah. well. But they um, tell your son, yeah, yeah, that people do fight underwater slowly. <laughs> I, like, oh, also, this was another interesting. This is going back to um, money. Yes. Yes. Bond throwing the, the how much Suitcase, it is, million two million dollars at, at the guy in yeah. Which, yeah. so sharking can do is what a what a terrible waste of money. <laughs> it's another example of Bond being hyper privileged. Oh yeah, that he can get rid, just chuck yeah. money around when he's in the plane and he bashes one baddie out of the plane and lets tens of thousands of dollars fly out the window. Sharky, could why don't you just kill the bad guy? Give Sharky the money. I think Sharky would probably quite like the money. Or you know what? Give it to charity. Give it to a, a you know a a, a, Fl- a Florida orphanage or something. But no, yeah. he doesn't think about it. And this is another. This is Bond being distant in a bad way for me. I, I felt that was really icky. Well, this this brings a question that I'm curious what you guys think of because. What does Bond care about? Like, what what fuels him as a character? I know that it changes sort of from movie to movie in terms of, like, an impetus. But, like, 
he's sort of an enigma in that regard, right? Like he's kind of, he's a catch-all for whatever we kind of want him to be. But it, it comes back to sort of what you're saying of like, he's throwing away money. I guess it's good versus evil. He just wants to, he just wants to, to stop bad. And I, I think it's the very old fashioned uh, queen and country. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. For, yes. for the time for when Bond yes. was written, when Fleming was writing it, it was a really patriotic time. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and, I, I've been, while I've been here and locked down, I've been reading um, the uh, John le Carre, George Smiley mm-hmm. novels in mm-hmm. order because that's mm-hmm. the kind of asshole I am. <laughs> and they're amazing. I was going to go with nerd. And le Carre wrote them as uh, an antidote to mm. Bond. Because he that was a real spy and he saw Fleming's, Fleming was writing in the 50s and the first um, Smiley book was 61. He saw Fleming's portrayal of the spy trade and decided he'd show it real in all of its boring uh, <laughs> bureaucracy. But the one thing that unites them is spies do it for love of England. And you can see it in a lot of the, the one like, um, what was it? It's oh the the very last line of the spy who loved me, when Bond is in a submarine and he uh, is picked up by a British battleship and all of his superiors are there and they look through the window and Bond is uh, in the embraces of the Bond girl in this little sub. He's like Bond, Bond, good grief! Oh, what are you doing, Bond? And Roger turns and says, uh, "Just keeping the British end up." <laughs> I gotta watch these. These, these are exciting. Uh, but you've got that line. You've got the Union yeah, Jack. You've yeah, got yeah. it's a yeah. very, very old-fashioned, which luckily doesn't really exist anymore. Queen and country, and doing it for that Britain. makes sense. And that I think sense. that's what drives. We have Bond. that too, right? We have that too. All of our, <laughs> all of our spycraft movies, but also all of our uh, military movies play on the same idea. Uncle Sam, do it for the stars and the stripes. That same kind of bullshit. Um, runs through us and like that's why my one of my favorite things was in Toy Story 4 Duke Kaboom was playing was playing on that with the Canadians because the Canadians don't do that shit we don't do that. You know, the idea, the idea of like a, the idea of a Canadian guy rolling down in a maple leaf is so fucking funny. It really shines a light on how absurd and embarrassing our two cultures are, Tom. We're so, our our jingoism—it's humiliating. Although why <laughs> Trudeau has never come out and said yes, we Canada is. Uh, <laughs> it was so brilliant. Uh, so I, I do want to. Right, so so um, I, I want to make. But a point. I think that's what he believes in. To answer your question, yeah, no, and I think that's in, completely that. That makes complete sense. Queen and yeah. country. Yeah. So I want to. I want to bring up something about myself. What a surprise! <laughs> uh, we when we did the first Bond film that we did, uh, can't remember what it is again. It's not tomorrow. Never dies. Well, it's not uh, the world, the world is not enough. Not enough. I had seen less or fewer Bond films, and I was far more critical of Bond, <laughs> the character, and Bond fandom. Um, because... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you are not, if you are not willing to jump in and submerge yourself in this world, it is very problematic. Um. I mean, beyond the privilege stuff you're talking about, you know, the 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 misogyny and the um and the mm-hmm. the, the the violence mm-hmm. is jarring, and it's also not really something that you know you should be preaching to impressionable young boys who these films seem to be for. It does take a little no, bit. No, I agree, and you you can definitely see with um, the Daniel Craig bombs that they've tried to steer away from them. I do think it's possible to do the old-fashioned Bond and have it less problematic. Without question. Without question, because people do make films like that now. Um, all the but time. But also, that's why it was such so easy. It was low-hanging fruit for Austin Powers. Yeah. It was so easy. Even then, well, in the 90s, when things weren't exactly... And, but Austin's the, also wanna, making fun of, like, British culture kind of far and wide, like not just yeah. specifically the spy, the spy thing. I do want to kind of amend my position on it because okay. I, now that I feel like I've seen, you know, now I've seen about maybe half of the Bond films, maybe more. Um, it's really not to be taken seriously the way I was taking it seriously. <laughs> and I do think, a, and I think that's a thing that, that yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's a thing, not just with Bond, but with all fandoms, um, People on the outside of the culture tend to take it a lot more seriously than people on the inside. That's true mm-hmm. with, uh, I mean, I think that that's true with a lot of things. Basically, you guys know, and um, and now it, I, I, I don't know. I guess I would have told myself two years ago when we did that movie, watch a few more Bond films and chill the fuck out. And I, uh, what do you guys think of that? <laughs> everyone should. Everyone. Should I, yeah, uh, I, I was. I will say this though. Yeah, it it should be said though that it does feel like the Daniel Craig films, which felt like they're the 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 Chris Nolan-y Batman version of of Bond to some degree or another. They took themselves a little more seriously. I mean, they certainly feel like their movies made with a little bit more. I mean, Sam Mendes is not a light filmmaker. I mean, for all intents and purposes. Um, so I, I do believe that he brought perhaps too much I, some people might argue i don't know i i i really like skyfall i really like casino royale i think the other two are spotty but well i think i, yes, I really I, like those two as well but i wonder if those films are made for people who don't love bond like me that might be true yes probably <laughs> well i i watched i saw all of them in cinema i remember enjoying all of them as action films more yes. than as bond films yeah. Um, 
Daniel Craig is a ferociously talented actor. I think he's terrific. I remembered one of them, full cinema, and there's a scene where uh, Bond meets Q, played by Ben Whishaw, brilliantly. What a brilliant way to follow Desmond Llewellyn is go complete opposite, and I think he's great. And they meet in, I think it's the National Gallery or somewhere, and he hands him a briefcase, and Mm -hmm. in it is a little gun. And Q says... Uh, what, what did you expect? Gadgets. We don't really go in for that sort of thing anymore. Yeah. The entire cinema went, oh. <laughs> oh. What? We're not going to get any gadgets. Oh. <laughs> there was a slight deflation from a full yeah. cinema. Yeah. And then later in the film, or it might have been another film, um, he opens the garage door and whips off a, a tarpaulin and there's the old Aston Martin and John Barry's down, 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 and it starts up. It was the closest I've been in a British cinema, the equivalent to Captain America, Captain uh, Catching yeah. Mjolnir. Thor's uh, Hammer, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone went, yes, yes, there's Bond, <laughs> there's Bond. Yeah. And yeah. we all enjoyed, I could tell that we were all enjoying the film, but as soon as you get little hints of what yeah. we expect from Bond... It's just magic. Well, that's, that's I think, I mean, that's what feels like the Daniel Craig movies weaponize really perfectly, giving you just enough of that stuff. So it still feels like a Bond film. And yet at the same time, um, perhaps a little more quote unquote substantive, I guess, is sort of what they're trying to do. I think you nailed it, Tom. I, I think the, I think they are great action films, but they don't feel like great Bond films. And it's funny, Phil, you and I like, cause again, our, I think, John Wayne notwithstanding, the closest character in American pop culture is Batman. Yeah. And it's funny how you and I, Phil, have independently, but at the same time, concurrently, gravitated back towards Batman Returns. Yes. At, even after these Nolan movies and these Ben Affleck movies, we keep feeling like, wouldn't it be great to have another movie like Batman Returns that still is action-packed, full of stakes, emotionally driven, but fun, you know? And I know we're not but, getting that with Robert Patterson, no offense. It's just, we, I really want, I really think it's time for whatever that version of Batman is that plays with it the way maybe Spider-Verse played with Spider-Man. Or well, they, or I loved, um, obviously, I really enjoyed Nolan's Batman films. I think they're and incredible. Yeah. Nolan is Obviously, we all know he's one of the most visionary directors. Yeah, he's a brilliant, and brilliant. One of the yeah. last of the, you know, close to auteur. He's got his thing mm-hmm. and it's amazing and he does it brilliantly. But I kept thinking he'd never cast Danny DeVito as the Penguin. <laughs> and that was my, my problem with them, is exactly well, what yeah. you're saying. I want yeah. Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Mm-hmm. I want um, Christopher Walken being a huge over-the-top baddie. I want Michelle Pfeiffer going uber cat and not trying to hide behind uh, any truth. (laughs) Sure. I mean, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, Nolan's talked a lot about wanting how much he loves Bond, right? I mean, you don't have to look any farther than Tenet and really most of his films to just be like, he just wants to make Bond movies. So his version of Batman is kind of Bondy, or at least it's Michael Mann infused. And because of that, it's like, he can't really 
have fun, like fun, fun, like be playful necessarily. He's just not that type of filmmaker. I would love to see his Bond. Yeah, if sure. They had a really, really funny actor playing mm. Bond. Yeah. To balance it out. <clears throat> because yeah. a, the perfect Bond would be able to do the, the Roger Moore puns and gags and corniness. Mm. But then when it comes to the actual nitty gritty of his work and killing people, yeah. it's brutal. And it balances yeah. it out. It forgives all the cheesy shit if he then you see he's a ruthless machine. I'd say this I about Nolan definitely nail that. Yeah, I'd say this about the Nolan Batmans, a potential Nolan Bond, and Nolan in general. At the time, they were exactly what we needed, right? Oh, yeah. I was, I, I was very into them. Remained very into them. Wanted a more, you know, adult Batman. Wanted a less, uh, a less saccharine Batman. Love the Frank Miller stuff like that. The whole thing was very exciting to me at the time. And Nolan has a really, really good sense of what culture wants at any given moment. And you've seen it with a lot of his films. And like, I don't even think you can count Tenet because this year is so weird. But so many of his other films were just like perfectly, perfectly tuned to the moment they were made. So I do think if he did make a Bond, to your point, Tom, he would, I think, nail it. In a way that was that felt perfect, the way that Batman Begins and then Dark Knight felt kind of perfect to us. What um, do you think is the Bond that we need at the moment? Where would you go, Daniel Craig's retiring from Bond? What direction would you go? I, I mean, I, I, I think twenty-first century Bond. I don't know the answer to that. When tough. you were saying yeah. you, you, so when you when you were saying something uh, that. We had a conversation. I can't remember anything. We had a conversation, us, a little moment, a little snippet, uh, about what Bond could be in the 21st century, less misogynistic, more equal, you know, you know kind of more equal-handed between uh, the genders, um, more fun. There is a – it's going to sound crazy. There is a Lord and Miller version of Bond that I think they oh, were trying God, to I go – I think they were trying to get at with Solo and they – it seems like the Star Wars people weren't ready to go there, and no casting those versions on anybody. But I think that there's a version of that where you cast uh, a comedian. You know, you you cast someone who's who's, who's funny and handsome and charming, uh, like a Tom Bison, for instance, and uh, <laughs> someone who has been funny in a dramatic setting before, yeah. and uh, and I think you can go. I think there's a, there's a version like that that might feel really like like the the thing we need now i'm lord and miller aren't your guys right like there are plenty of british filmmakers who but i think you're right and it's also talking about batman the lego batman films couldn't have happened without the the nolan batman films Mm -hmm. and i think they are lego batman is such a great film it is brilliant the lego movies are such great films but that batman wouldn't have worked if you didn't have the dark knight trilogy no i mean i think that it, and it equally, does feel like the, 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 with the the current uh daniel craig bonds i think we're ready to go to uh live action equivalent of yeah and what you well, bring up lego batman i do think that something i have forgotten but it's definitely true lego batman is 100 percent a batman movie 
right? Yeah. It is not a. It, it is a. It is a satire, and there are they, they are parodying certain elements of Batman, but it hits all of the Batman beats so brilliantly. Um, I do think that you're right, Tom. I think there is a live version that kind of that that examines this this character in a more winky way. Like I love Skyfall. Skyfall is the one that finally felt like okay, they're coming to grips with who this guy is. But now I think that that we've done that, and we can have a little more fun with the other elements of it. It Maybe also like feels like your last to be seen writ large, right? That little <laughs> last to be seen, but movie for. I mean, the, it, you know, Fukunaga doing the most recent one means that they don't need to be Brits anymore, or at least it seems as though this is the first American filmmaker that's been allowed to direct a Bond film, which is a pretty big deal. <laughs> I mean, I think that I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure they necessarily needed to do it. I think there's a whole bunch of young, awesome British filmmakers that could have done it. But all that being said, they went with Fukunaga, who I think is very talented. It does open the door. And to your point, Kenny, I would love to see them be a little more meta about it, deconstruct it a little bit more in a, in a little bit more playfully way. Um, I just don't know that the Broccoli's are interested in doing anything like that. Like, it, it seems as though... I, I'd, I'd be really surprised if that but we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I think that what the Craig movies have done is allowed it to, to your point, Kenny, like Skyfall really does kind of get into the meat. If there is any meat in a Bond, they kind of, they really do try to go there. Um, so there's a little more heft to this character than there was before. And I've got so, a feeling they needed to prove that. They needed yes. to prove yeah. that Bond was, because probably, I keep coming back to Austin Powers, it pretty much killed Bond. It did. And so you had mm-hmm. to step step back and show that Bond was a three-dimensional character with, I'm going to choke saying the word, backstory. <laughs> backstory. <laughs> you um, love backstory, Tommy. That's your favorite thing, backstory. Oh, <laughs> what's, the, what's the backstory uh, discussion? I hate backstory. <laughs> you, but, but I hate elaborate. backstory. It's completely pointless. It gets in the way. It's uh, it's it's um, um, ex- it's historical exposition. It's pointless. I mean, show it. Just show show everyone's history through what they're doing. You don't. Can I ask you? A, can I ask back. a question though? You can I have just... you can have one line or two. Like I mentioned with Lupe, she says there's one line. I took fifty. He says Bond says why don't you go home? And she says I spent fifteen years trying to escape there. That's it. And then there you go. You get an idea of who she is. You don't then need an entire fucking speech about what it was like with her family, her terrible family in this terrible country and, oh, and the uprising and the things that I saw. And I had to chew my thumbs off in order to escape. And these are the fake thumbs that I had to sleep with (laughs) in order to get these new thumbs. Can I can I ask you a question though, Tom? Because we we yesterday talked about Mike Lee's topsy turvy, um, right. and Mike Lee doesn't agree with you, right? Like his whole process, <laughs> no, his whole process is to double, triple, quadruple down on that idea of I want my actors to know every inch of this character so that we can find the story together. No, it's a complete. I'm I am well, not in no, any way suggesting Mike Lee should make a Bond with- film. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with them. I think yeah. an actor should know a character's entire right. history. It's when the it's but when the writer comes to you to, and says, "We don't yes, need yes, to yes. chat about it." Yes, I we, agree. We, it, that should be brought. Yeah, 
Yeah. You, you know who agrees with you? <laughs> Aside from me. Uh, Aaron Sorkin feels very strongly. He's right. Yeah, he feels very strongly that the backstory well, does think kind of work. Yeah. Is that a true fact? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> You're a true I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> back, backstory doesn't exist <coughs> until you need it for yeah. the character in the moment they're in. So he doesn't right. do the thing that I wish we didn't have to do, but we're not Aaron Sorkin, so we have to do this ridiculous <laughs> exercise every time we pitch a show where we, say, where we say, well, she was born to a single mother in the back alley in Birmingham. It, we That comes out when it's needed in the yeah, context yeah, yeah. of whatever is happening in a scene. So, yeah, I think that uh, I think it is more than even unnecessary. It's limiting. It's limiting. Don't box your characters into a corner. It doesn't make any sense to me. So now I can fill in all the shit about Lupe, about her thumbs like you just did. But if Lupe comes out and says, these are the fake thumbs that I had to sleep with so-and-so to get, the next scene when she uses the thumbs, they better be used the same way that they were – yeah, you get it. Yeah, Yeah, quite. Quite. I, I think it's I mean, I think to your to both of your points, and I agree with both of you, this idea that like once it's told to me, it you can't unring that bell, right? It sucks. So well, it's it, the it's trouble just, with you mentioned earlier when we were talking Lord and Miller about mm-hmm. solo. It's mm-hmm. a story we didn't need because no. also, as well as actors bringing their own backstory. Part of the fun of falling in love with characters, especially in a franchise, is we get to decide as an audience their backstory. And so then to see that Han Solo invented his surname because he was traveling alone. I mean, that doesn't... (laughs) You didn't want that, Tom? You didn't want to know that that's how his name came to be? (laughs) That doesn't really help me watch him on the forest moon of No, 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 no. But this is, but you're also speaking to something that I think is uh, really important and is everywhere right now, which is prequels, right? This idea of, well, people love a thing, so why don't we go tell them how we got to the thing that they love? Which feels like weird Easter eggy shit that I don't completely understand. And I don't, I don't know that it necessarily works. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It just feels cash grabby more than anything, where it's like, well, we can get more juice out of this franchise, so let's do this thing. But to your yeah. point, it doesn't actually bolster or make you like i mean i don't think that the the star wars prequels and some people might disagree with me make me like the you know episodes six seven and eight more or whatever number four five no, six but you know also, weirdly i think uh rogue one works so mm-hmm. brilliantly because yes. it's not giving any of the characters we already yes. know their backstory that's it's world building telling, backstory. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and yeah. that works really well and i think Rogue One makes A New Hope a better film. I agree with that, 100%. I didn't like Rogue One, but I appreciate what you're saying in terms of I appreciate that they – part of the reason why prequels are so hard, and I think prequels are almost always terrible, is because the question they seek to answer uh, is usually better left unanswered. We've been talking about that. The answer to this question that they answered in Rogue One actually really was interesting. It actually, <laughs> yeah. it actually was quite it actually was quite fulfilling, and I do think it makes a New Hope better knowing that backstory. I just thought the movie was overlong and and kind of boring, but that's just me. Right. 
It, it yeah. also does what um, the Daniel Craig Bond films did for Bond. It does the same thing for Star Wars in that it shows people who you believe to be real dying in a pretty brutal uh, way oh, and they're yeah. then forgotten about for Forgot. the story. Yeah. And it shows yeah. that there is this galactic war and it's, and it's mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way, it brings the old Star Wars, the original trilogy, makes them more modern. Mm-hmm. Because you understand the world building, the world that they're in, we can understand it modern where we appreciate the grit. Equally, Bond, Daniel Craig, needed to bring Bond, the franchise, to the 21st century. So you start Casino Royale with the brilliant black and white cold opening of him getting his double O status. That's a really great way of showing you know Bond as being Roger Moore, keeping the British end up. I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Uh, that sort of thing. But now, also, there's another side to Bond, which is... No, I can't remember. Was that Bond or Austin Powers? <laughs> that's Bond. That's, uh, that's Moonraker and Q sure, at sure. the very end. Uh... <laughs> What's Bond Can I just doing? say, though, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and, and I want to just piggyback on it for a second and say that, you know, talking about I'm, all I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry. And okay. also making it, trying to make it relevant to what we're supposed to be talking about. That, uh, Timothy Dalton does the same thing. Yeah, it's it's talking about all these franchises and talking about Bond, I'm really hit with the balancing act of what each of these Bond films have to do, which is to be an easy entry point to a person who's never seen a Bond film, right? Like it still needs to be its own story. And admittedly, the Daniel Craig movies try to serialize it the most that it's ever been done. And it's still pretty minimal. But like mm-hmm. they do try to connect the films together to some degree or another. But that balancing act of feeling like you are stepping into a deep franchise that has all of this sort of history to it, and yet this story is fresh and fun and you can step into this one. That's a hard thing to to balance, and I think they do it quite well. I mean, I think the Casino Royale, one of the things, and I love Casino Royale, but Ava Green in Casino Royale, who, I mean, is just the best, um, having him fall in love with her, like having Bond actually fall in love with someone and having her death resonate in the next film, which the next film not being as strong, but still like that idea is, I don't think they've done that before. I mean, forgive me. I haven't seen all of them, but you've already forgotten Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) How can I forget Tracy? Which is also mentioned in. Oh, she um, is. Well, yes. In. What's this film called? This one's called License to Kill. To Grill. Um, to grill. <laughs> and uh, when to the, grill. The, the bride has the, the garter and she wants to, and says yeah. the next yeah. one to catch this, which is a tradition I've never heard of. <laughs> I thought it was catching the bouquet and they're the next married, yeah. but maybe it's the next one who gets to shag me again. <laughs> and she cuts it to Bond and Bond doesn't like it. No. And you see a little glimpse of Timothy Dalton actually being able to act. And yeah, and the, her, the the groom says he was married once a long time ago, and it's a little reminder to people, to contemporary audiences, that a right. long time ago we introduced something that was quite serious with Bond and Diana. But Rick don't worry about married that. Married him and died. Uh, just to remind you, there are serious <laughs> bits. Now let's go fishing. Bring on the money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, listen, I I, I want to just, um, 
I have one question for you guys, which is uh, Sanchez, Bond villain of License to Kill. Not one of the best Bond villains, I would say. I think the actor does a good job. That's not. I'm not denigrating the performance necessarily, but like mm. as far as Bond villains go, they just always feel like they need to be you know, a little bit more ridiculous, like a little bit more theatrical and a little bit more comic booky, I guess. Like Lashiv in, in uh, you know, Mads Mikkelsen in, in Casino Royale is kind of the perfect balance to me of like, he cries blood. Oh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the best, right? Like it's just kind of just one molecule away from being ridiculous. And, and, I, and I appreciate that. You know, yes. there, it, 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 that's it, it, Nolan and the, and the, Mendez, uh, who did the first? Did Mendez do Casino? No, it was. Uh, oh my god, why am I drawing a blank on his name? I can't god remember. It. I, I'll look it up, but keep talking, Kenny. Um, those those films do a really good job of modernizing the ridiculousness. You know, like yeah, yeah, because because the Batman world and the Bond world are necessarily ridic- necessarily ridiculous, and the ones I've watched from the Connerys. Connery ones are really ridiculous. Doctor No is yeah. absurd. Goldfinger is <laughs> absurd. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, oh, can I, I, I'm just going to interject just very quickly. I read yeah. Doctor No originally. Doctor No was going to be a monkey. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I desperately okay. hope that's true. But um, sorry, um, carry on. No, no. But to have such a a grounded, realistic Bond villain. That is really more than anything, aside from the copious use of cigarette boats, what felt Miami Vice about it. You know, the villain yeah. was someone who could have been taken down by almost any other movie her- movie hero. Mm-hmm. And there is something about a Goldfinger or a Dr. No or Mads Mikkelsen from – from Casino Royale, where you really, or even Jonathan Price's character, where you really need a guy like Bond to get him. Well, I, I guess it's not helped by the very first thing you see is your main baddie being foiled. He's captured. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he only escapes because he's got enough money to escape. Mm-hmm. And he finds right. someone who's fallible to me. <laughs> and uh, if your $1 million down, rhymes aren't going to work here, Sanchez. $2 million. All right, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and I he does have an that, iguana, though. So there's that. Yeah, that's true. Iguanas are a girl's best friend. <laughs> uh, by the way, the director joke. of uh, Casino Royale was Martin Campbell, who also did Goldeneye. So yes. he kind of rebooted yeah, the franchise yeah, twice. Yeah. And I, I think it says something about Martin Campbell that those are two very different reboots of the series. And I think he handles it you know, unbelievably well. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty fantastic. Um, so the, the only other kind of stuff that I wanted to talk about uh, really is kind of the, um, the cult stuff for a second and just get to kind of the, that part of the plot where we were sort of, he, he takes him the to the cult factory. Stuff, yeah, the cult. Yes, cult. Now, the, the that's, way- that's a, yes, a bon villain. Way new of the of the traditional <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sanchez is fallible and defeatable, and he even says uh, when he's a Bond is his guest. Yes, and when a henchman comes up and says, "You'll never guess who he is," and Sanchez says he's a British agent. How did you know that? And Sanchez <laughs> says something like, "I just know things." Well, you don't. He just told you. <laughs> well, literally, two minutes ago, told you. Pretty much what he says. Oh, that's so, so great. 
So Sanchez is playing. He's pretending to be yeah. this, you know, um, omniscient being. But yep. we as an audience know he isn't. And I don't know whether that's an intentional attempt yeah. to modernise the Bond villain, but I like old Bond villains, like the, the, the cult leader. That's what you could imagine in a Roger Moore film Is that being so, the, right, now, the main baddie. You've done a really good job of selling the Roger Moore movies to me. I can't really <laughs> you are going to be so disappointed. You're talking to a guy who watched every episode of the Adam West Batman. So like that, oh, wow. that's what I was about to, that's what I was about to, to bring up. Like that yeah, is yeah. where that, that character lives. Like mm-hmm. it's like those kind of, you know, he's, he's the evil, he's the evil priest cult guy who has his own temple. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was wonderful. And also like the, I, I thought the, the, the scheme was kind of clever, you know, like the way that yeah, they use yeah. both the telethons to get the bids for more Coke and the, um, and the, 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 the temple to help launder the money from the Coke. And it was also very, I, I, like, can I just say, I like that, that you say it's clever I say it's convoluted, and I'm not sure that I totally understand what they were doing. But I appreciate the fact that oh, it's convoluted. There's... Okay, 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 okay. Just like I didn't just understand like, it until the second like, viewing, like, and I don't think that bodes well for a Bond film. Does it? Just like some of the best, some of the best villain plots are very convoluted. The best one of all time: Gene Hackman blowing up, you know, California, so he can have all the coastline property. Yes, yes. It's the most convoluted thing of all time. Also. The best and smartest villain plot there is, for sure, for sure. <laughs> oh. Yes, that's true. Um, I also think you know, Tom. You talk about the fallibility of him, uh, of Sanchez, which I think mm. really is kind of crystallized in their final fight together. Like they, they are sort of. I don't want to say they're mirror images of each other, but like it's clear that 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 Sanchez is built in sort of a "what if Bond was a villain" type mold, and they're they're Bond, kind of playing Bond- off. Tino, I think, is what you're what you're getting at. Sure, and, and this this final sort of like machete fight they have by the tanker. There's also something. I mean, I gotta say it. Him just setting the guy on fire was kind of crazy. <laughs> that was amazing. Because <laughs> when he like, plays wow. with the lighter at, at the wedding, yes. you know yes. that something's. I mean, yes. Chekhov's yes. gun. That's the <laughs> very definition. But by then. So much weird shit has happened, and it's yeah. such a long film. I'd completely forgotten about it. I know. And then yeah. there it is. There's the lighter at the end. It's like the T-Rex coming back in Jurassic Park. Yes. Yeah. There yeah. it is. <laughs> and it's like, it's he goes up in, like, fucking flames. Like, he is he's a fireball. <laughs> it's then, then he blows up a tanker. <laughs> and then he blows up a tanker. Yeah, everything blows up. I like that. I'm sure when Spielberg was, was pitching out Jurassic Park to his, <laughs> like, have you seen License to Ill? I mean, kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's really, um, it really ends very strong. I'll say that. Like it gets a little, I would say that it hammocks a little bit in the center, but yeah, it, it, its last fucking half Cut hour is just is really going for it. What do you think <laughs> yeah. of the last last part where they then decide to throw a party in <laughs> Sanchez's house? Bond shows up with Lupe. <laughs> Gary Lowell shows up with Q. 
And then in Santa's his house. He hasn't been dead twenty four hours. And they're like, oh, it's so funny. That's like that's like when they do that's like when they throw like parties in, in Saddam Hussein's palaces after they killed him. They're like, it's ours now. Yeah, yeah. And then so so much for making the women more progressive. Bond oh gets off with Lupe and then says, actually, no, 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 I'm having the other one. Uh, why don't you go off with the president? You marry the president. She's like, oh. And she's like, fine. I love James. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, that's I another mean. line reading from this film that just fucking killed me was there's a scene with Q and Carrie Lowell and, and Lupe and, and she says how much she loves James. Like, I can't bring myself for anything bad to happen. I love him so much. And the line reading is is just dead. Like, could not be more dead. So it's done <laughs> over her shoulder. And then it comes back over to her just dead-eyed face after she said that she just loved this man. It's, it's- I just assumed she she had seen a lot of James Bond movies. That's the only yeah, just, character I love. I love right after that moment, because yeah. Carrie Lowell is, is – she's so sad. She's so sad because of Bond <laughs> Bond and Lupe, so sad. And Q comes up and puts his arms around her. Now, Mm -hmm. earlier on in the film, Bond says to Q, and this film, for me, I'm surprised we haven't touched on it yet, is Q's film. It's the... He's in it a lot. He has has more screen time in this film than any of the other films. And earlier, Bond says, you you make a hell of a field operative. And Q, you can Mm -hmm. see, yes, this is, I'm, you know, like the spies. In this moment, after I love James, Kerry Lowell, mm-hmm. very sad, Hugh puts his arms around her and says, <laughs> field operatives must use every means at their disposal. Is that Bond trying to shag her? Uh, because that's, I mean, is that Hugh uh, trying to shag I her? Think so. Because he's beginning to think of himself as a field operative. Snuggle up, field operatives, we have to do everything. So do me. It feel it certainly feels that way. You guys are I probably know. right. I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I was trying to explain that one to Rollins. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like so. There's a show called The Americans, and in The Americans, they do a lot of. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I couldn't really explain how why he kissed one woman and then jumped. In, I mean, jumped into the pool. Jumped which into I, the pool. Honest to God, dude. Fucking romantic. That was romantic. This is the romantic bond. I and do then you, love and that. And then it gets to a statue of a fish that winks at the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's also, I'm sorry, but I have to mention, there's a frightening fish sculpture in the bedroom that yeah. Bond sleeps in, in Sanchez's house, where he wakes up with a start and you just see this fucking terrifying oh, fish yeah. with like a human yeah. face on it or something. I'm like, what, what is this? Uh, now, yeah. if, you were, if you were making the opening titles, the opening yes. credits to this film, mm-hmm. would you make it a Chinese woman jumping around with a camera? Because I think that's probably the smallest part of this yeah. film. And it's yeah. really weird to me that that's what they decided to get. There's not a single fish in it. Yeah, I was going to say, it, like, it'd, be, it'd be all sharks. Or an iguana. It'd be sharks. Yeah. Exactly. Fish in, in various states of undress, I think. <laughs> uh, are you? Uh, I, 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 this is just a, yeah. This is just a factual question. <clears throat> Every James Bond film ends with James and the Bond girl together. Everyone I feels that so. way. Is, is that, <laughs> that that's the, of the ones yeah. I've seen? Yeah. 
I don't know because yeah. uh, cool. Always well, actually no. Casino Royale doesn't. Casino Royale ends with him uh, and the theme song coming in for the first time at the very end of Casino Royale. Yeah, I, it, it's this does come back to two lines uh, that the the two lines that end the two last Pierce Brosnan films. The first is, "I thought Christmas only came once a year because her name is Christmas," and it yep. is. I mean, it's worth naming her Christmas for that joke. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I think that is just ridiculous. And but then... You might be a little, little laptop. Ooh, good day's work for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. Whatever. And then the, and then the uh, Die Another Day ends with a black screen, and you just hear Halle Berry say, it's too big, it's too big, it's not going to fit. And he's putting diamonds in her belly button. Yeah, that, well, that's that's a that's a typical sex move. Everyone knows that, so that's that's not so that. There way. you go. You know, that was the original for the final episode of Sopranos when it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I heard <laughs> over black screen. Yeah. 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 Um, we should rate this movie, uh, Kenny. Do you want to do you want to start with your uh, your rating of this film? Yeah. So I loved this movie a lot. Uh, I. Uh, it, we, I honestly, I gave it a 79. Um, I kind of want to go a little higher after this conversation. I think Tom pointed out a bunch of things that, uh, that, that I, I didn't notice that made me love it even more. I'm not going to go much higher. It's not a masterpiece or anything like that. But it's kind of fun. I'm going to give it an 82. Um, thrilled that I watched, thrilled that I watched this movie. Uh, do feel that, uh, I forgot if it was you, Tom or Phil, it, hammocks in the middle. Yeah, it's a it's a little over long. Uh, again, we had just watched Topsy Turvy. I just watched Topsy Turvy the day before, which is forty minutes longer. Uh, I liked a lot less, and also felt like it went quicker. So there is some stuff here that that certainly could be cut out. But um, yeah, I loved it. I really, really just love a good eighties action movie. Yeah, I mean, I I had not seen this film before uh before this um and i do like bond films and i do like 80s action films so like it, it was as i was watching it i was enjoying it um but then it kind of slowed a little bit i got a little confused but again like it's a fucking bond movie it's like i, I you know what i mean it, it's kind of like you can't really rate a bond film for all intents and purposes they're kind of you know uh, impervious to any sort of criticism but um before this podcast i probably would have given it about a 65 but this conversation being as it is you guys have. I'm at a 75 now. I think it's. I think it's a super fun movie. I think it's a good Bond film. I'm the same. I would have gone 60s, early mid 60s. Uh, if they cut Florida, it would be <laughs> in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. It's. I. I enjoyed it. I needed to watch it a second time to understand it. Um, <laughs> like all good Bond uh, I, I wrote down several puns and uh, <laughs> and also moments where you thought. That needs a joke. Yeah. That needs a joke. Yeah. Tom, Tom do you, uh, uh, is there a Bond movie or several Bond movies that you think are bad Bond films? The later Pierce Brosnan ones. And okay. I hate saying that because I think he could, given the right Bond films, could have been up there with Connery and Moore. He should have been amazing. He's great at the jokes. He's great at the action. He's beautiful. Dodgy films. But do you think that 
I, and I, I, this is sort of this kind of goes back to our, our, our earlier conversation, which is that Bond is sort of a reflection. I think Kenny, you said this is a reflection of the time he's in, right? So you have Bond. Brosnan's Bond is from ninety five to two thousand and two, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's around there. Mm-hmm. And at that time, how does Bond fit into the sort of movie landscape? And they just didn't really know. It seems like they didn't really know what to do with him, unfortunately. And also, a shitload changed in the late 90s. Yes. Yeah. And so how does Bond fit into the age of the internet? And yes. I don't think oh. it, they really Poorly. found his place. Poorly. But, yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point because I, I also think that action movies in general around this period of time, 95 to 2002, um, particularly the end of that, Yep. 90, 90, like the action movies we cover sort of suck in 99. Yep. Uh, and they just got worse and worse. Um, and uh, I action movies I, in, in the late 80s were excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. They're what's great. interesting They're about, about this one and you saying it uh, fits in with the time, well, it kind of does in that you're steering away from the Cold War and more into Miami Vice territory. But when you look at the other action films that were released in 89 they're fun like ghostbusters 2 indiana jones the last crusade mm-hmm. they're big fun over the top ones which bond should have slipped into there beautifully and it yep. should have been the highest grossing film of the year yep well you know it's interesting tom i think that as as you know my, my basic theory about bond is it's two to three years behind the zeitgeist if that movie got made in 91, 92, that might have been more in line with this, this Spielbergian, Ghostbusters 2 idea that I that, that that I think you're talking about, whereas this reflected more of that mid-80s, Schwarzenegger Stallone, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. type yeah. thing that I love. And I don't care that this came on the tail end of that because, again, I wasn't there at the time they 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 mean nothing to me but yeah i think that we have we missed out and they missed out on that bond adventure for everybody uh that he easily could slot right into yeah it's it's it feels like a movie that unfortunately was sort of there were there were outside things affecting it in terms of where they had to shoot it, how they had to shoot it, which affected the story that they were telling. A writer's strike. Like there's just a lot of factors that kind of made this movie just not necessarily rise to the the place that it could have been, unfortunately. But I'm still like... But the legacy of it is very important. (laughs) No, seriously. I mean, the legacy of Dalton is Bond. We wouldn't have Jason Bourne without Dalton's Bond. That's true. That's true. We wouldn't have Daniel Craig's Bond, quite frankly, I don't think. Like, I think that without this film, kind of, you know... um, And I think he's a great Bond, Dalton. I do, too. I think he he lays the groundwork for a more grounded, visceral um, Daniel Craig Bond. I I absolutely agree with that, for sure. You know, the, the, the answer to your original question, the who, the, the what is the Bond version today? Yeah. And I said the Lord and Miller, but I might be a little behind this, I guess, a little bit on that one. Uh, young Bond. Um, a young a young Bond. It doesn't have to be an origin story. That's not what I'm pitching. Backstory. Yeah, yeah. backstory. No, no backstory. Just young 
a, a young Bond yeah. uh, played with kind of a, a a wonder, but a competence, mm-hmm. not unlike Tom Holland's Spider-Man, might feel refreshing and fun at this point. How young? That's interesting. School Bond. No, 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 no. 23, 24, 25. You know, there are a series yeah. of um, uh, books, young adult books, Young mm-hmm. Bond. Interesting. And they're written by a guy called Charlie Higson, who throughout the 90s and noughties was one of, I think, one of the best comedy producers really? in uh, British TV. And he turned his hand to this Young Bond series. They're really good. And maybe you I want to ask you one more question, Tom. Has nothing to do with Bond. In England, you guys use the term naughties like it's not a weird thing. <laughs> Question, mark. Question mark. I, I, so this is the kind of thing I would have anxiety about, which I did for the first 18 years of my life. You know, you have the, 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 the beauty of decades, the beauty of the simplicity of, uh, a beauty and simplicity of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. What are we going to call the the naughties? And we never we never settle on a term here. So we don't, don't call it anything. Yeah, we don't call it anything. It's we a never, dead decade. It's What's the aughts? Decade. Wasn't it the aughts for a second? If you have to call it something, you call it the aughts. But oh. we also don't have a term. We also don't have a term for last decade. We don't call it the teens. We, we don't, don't call it the term. teens. So no, I, we I, don't have a term for either. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I respect it because I, you know, I love the uh, the best pick podcast as Phil knows, and they just call it the naughties like you just did, like it's not this bizarre thing that you had. But <laughs> I, I, okay, here's here's a question for you. Tell me, what is the name of the guy who lives in Sherwood Forest and he battles against the sheriff of Nottingham and he's got Maid Marian and Kevin Costner? Robin Hood. Now, what's your name? Full name. What's going Phil. on right now? I don't say, say your name. Philip Iscove. Why Robin Hood? Do you emphasize the Robin? Oh. Robin Hood. But you don't Robin. do it with any other name. That's true. Robin Hood. Hood. Why, why emphasize the Robin and not the Hood when generally we emphasize people's last him. names? Huh? Phil <laughs> Iscove. Yeah, but you emphasize my last name. You're Phil Iscove. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is that's interesting. Ivar, you're right. It's not that interesting. <laughs> Can you cut that bit? It's not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than anything, Tom, thank you for coming on to talk about Robin. License to Kill. Yeah, you're right. License you're right. to Kill. It's, it's uh, I love it. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Um, and we hope to have you back to talk about uh, shirtless Frenchmen at some point. Oh, oh, come oh, on. We can do something more fun than that. <laughs> well, we can just... This I, has listen. made me change my mind. Yeah, how do we should do something more fun. How, how do you pronounce the title? Because it's embarrassing. Beau Travaux? Beau Travaux? Beau Travaux? Travaux. Are we going to do that? It's a great film. I mean, I hear it's a great film. I, I mean, I, I'm not... We have to cover it at some point, Kenny. Um, I don't know how much fun it's going to be for us to cover, but I think we should cover it. You know, people say it's one of the finest films of the year. I, I look forward to doing it. Uh <laughs> and, uh, but we're gonna tom more than anything you're in this hemisphere and we need to capitalize on it while it's happening so we're gonna have you back I'm we're yours. gonna we're gonna we're Where gonna find you? you are you in toronto? toronto he's in toronto 
Uh, oh, you shoot! Oh, you shooting something? He's shooting yes, apples. Yeah. See, I look forward to seeing. Oh, all right, just go ahead and say it. <laughs> <laughs> he's ha- he's hanging out with uh with uh Jason Momoa all the all day long. How he, I, I, Momoa and Mason together at last. It's the pairing <laughs> everyone's been waiting for. Yeah, the internet's a buzz. Stan and Ichabod. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman. Woo. Um, well, we're gonna have you back, but thank you for coming on, Tom. And uh, you know, we're, we're gonna make this happen uh, far, far more regularly than the however two years or two and a half years it's been since you were off for cruel intentions. So, um, uh, thank you yeah. for coming on. It's so awesome to see you again, Tom. Or actually, it really, really is. Yeah. First time I kind of voice, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just podcast like it. Podcast like it's nine, ten, eight, nine. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth.